Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Wednesday, October the 12th, 2022. And on Wednesday, as with most Wednesdays um, in the history of Keenon, we're focusing on innovation, the I word. We're back with it. Seems ubiquitous. We now can't escape it. How to innovate. We've done shows on how to innovate on so many fronts, what the ancient Greeks can teach us about innovation, uh, what the Danes and the people in Denver can teach Silicon Valley about innovation, uh, how we need to control the big techs the big tech barons of Silicon Valley, if we're to truly innovate, um, and indeed how we can even unleash innovation from 25 million refugees. Uh, last week, we did a show with Lorraine Marchand, a, uh, a business uh, writer who talked about the need to democratize innovation. And it's so that it's not just white men who boast of being innovators. She has a new book out on that democratization called The Innovation Mindset. And perhaps in response to Marchand, or perhaps just coincidentally, we have a white man on the show to talk about innovation of all things. Uh, it's not just another white man. His name is Mauro Puccini. He is a legendary figure in the advertising marketing corporate world. He is SVP and chief design officer at PepsiCo. And he's talking to us uh, from his office in New York City. Mara, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Oh, you are. You are a white man, although in your defense, you're an Italian white man. What, um, what Mara can you as an Italian white man teach us about innovation? Well, first of all, I, I don't have the ambition to teach anything to anybody. I, I wrote this book and I do what I do at work, in life, with my social media platform because I have this instinct, this need of sharing uh, a message about something that is working for me is working for the companies uh, I, I work for. And in this, this idea of refocusing everything we do in life and in business on the human being, on creating value for people, on putting people before uh, business uh, revenue, be before uh, profit, before technologies, uh, looking at everything else as an enabler, an amplifier, eventually results, but really rebalancing, refocusing everything we do with this idea of serving people, society, uh, their needs, their wants, their desires, and their dreams. That's very heartwarming, Mauro, but isn't that obvious? Well, if it was obvious, probably we would work in companies with a different kind of approach and mindset. Uh, in, in the world of innovation, in the design world, uh, we face this every day. You know, the idea is I'm going to grow this business from A to B. This is what these companies usually do. If you go to business school, this is what they teach. They teach you, okay, you need to take a business you know, to the next level and you have different levers to do so. The product is one, then you have communication, you have distribution, you have a variety of different levers. And as a business leader for many years, you know, uh, 
this has been the case. You could become a business star and you could achieve an incredible success in what you do in the business world by uh, taking, growing the business, growing the company, eventually working on the product as a lever, but eventually also working on other levers and keeping the product as it is. And often the product eventually is an average product. It's not an extraordinary product. It's not a product that is changing the life of people. It's creating value in the life of people. No matter this, you will grow inside these organizations. This is not possible today uh, anymore. Uh, essentially, what is happening is that out there, anybody, any person listening to us right now can come up with an idea, get relatively easy access to funding through the proliferation of uh, investment funds, hunting for the next idea, for the next startup, or simply go online and go to sites like kickstarter.com where they cr- they may, people can crowdfund your idea. So we, li- we live in a world where you get out of school. For instance, your dream is not anymore the one of working for a big company or for a big agency, but your dream is to build that big company, that big agency through that startup. So there's this culture of, you know, I can create something from scratch. That is, an idea like this is more plausible today than it was in the past. The cost of produce, producing that idea, the cost of manufacturing is going down, driven by new technologies and the globalization of the market. And then you can go straight to the people you serve through the digital platforms, through e-commerce to sell them stuff, and then through the social media platform to build your ecosystem of communication. These were the areas where the big companies in the past were building their barrier to entry, made of scale of production, distribution, and communication. Today, these barriers are crumbling down under the winds of globalization, digitization, and new technologies. And therefore, we know, any company knows, that there are millions of people out there looking at your products, your product category, your brand, and thinking, how can I compete with that product and that brand and that product category? And what do they do? Uh, well, they try to understand how other people relate with those products and those brands. What are the frustrations? What are the, uh, the dreams, the unmet needs? And is enough that you have one area of weakness. You may have a perfect product, a perfect brand, but the service is not good enough. Or eventually, even the service is great, but your product is not sustainable enough or is not healthy enough. Is enough one area of weakness? And this is where the new entrants will be able to come. And in the past, they couldn't because of those barriers to entry. So the big and the small are left with just one option. Before even you start to talk about the financial opportunity of expanding your market somewhere or how to gain market share, that's what really usually drives these companies. You need to start thinking. Everything starts with understanding the people you serve and creating the most extraordinary experiences for them at 360 degrees, product, communication, service, every single dimension. And this a cultural revolution. It's very different than what we've been used to witnessing these organizations in the past. You are making this argument from the office of PepsiCo. Uh, you've got some Pepsi paraphernalia behind you. I, I, I have to admit, M- Mauro, I, I'm not convinced the, um, on your long tail theory uh, the uh, PepsiCo uh, results came out this week. They're very good. Uh, strong earnings and forecast. Um, higher pricing has resulted in, 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 in more earnings for PepsiCo. Uh, and the, the company is bucking uh, inflation. 
Are you saying that some kid sitting somewhere watching this with the idea of building the next Pepsi Cola or Lay's potato chips or Doritos that they can really take on guys like you? Well, we witness this every day. We have companies arriving to market and they, uh, they play multiple roles. First of all, the summary of multiple of them, obviously, are, you know, they gain market share and they start to have a presence in market. People out there are getting used to go to a store and finding all kinds of new beverages and new snacks. And, and they're getting used to experiment, to actually to the newness of what they find. So they, they, they want to actually go the next trip to Walmart, the next trip online. They want to find new stuff. And they, uh, they, there is this proliferation of new products that, again, they are gaining share. On top of it, they are gaining mind share and love share. And so they're forcing the big companies to not think just about, you know, the stability of your core products and keep investing in them in the usual ways, but you need to change the way you are investing in your core brands, in your core products, building experiences. Well, you just mentioned the products that I have behind me. In the case of Pepsi, uh, we have been investing heavily in uh, collaborations with the world of fashion. Uh, we, there was just recently, uh, in the case of Lace, uh, this collaboration with Balenciaga and the fashion show in Paris a few days ago with the uh, Lace uh, bag designed by Demna, the art director of Balenciaga. We did partnership with Pepsi and uh, the Square, the, the Square brand, uh, Puma, Fila, uh, Gatorade and Nike and their Jordan, and, and a variety of other brands and collaborations. And this is all about creating relevance for our brands in an unusual way, in arriving to the life of people in an expected way. So in the core brands, we need to invent new ways to build experiences and build relevance that is very different from the past, you know, the more traditional one-way direction, top-down, communication approach, uh, mostly TV-centric and driven by television. This is really about user-generated content, creating stuff that people uh, get excited about and they generate content for us. But on top of that, there is a stream of a variety of new products that we are generating. We just announced a few days ago the launch of uh, the new uh, Gatorade GX bottle. The GX system is something we've been experimenting with for, for years. Essentially, uh, is a system where you put a patch, a smart patch on your skin, and this patch monitor your sweating during your performance, your workouts, the composition, the frequency, and then it sends the information to an app that you have on your phone. On, and this app essentially guide you on the kind of concentrate of Gatorade that you wanna have for yourself, that you need on the basis of uh, how your body works and the physiology of your body. We launched, we, we have been experimenting with this uh, product for uh, years with partnership with Serena Williams, Usain Bolt, the soccer team of Brazil. Uh, and then we took it to the campuses in, and the universities in the United States. And then finally, around one year and a half ago, we launched it as a real product. And then a few days ago, we announced another component of this ecosystem that is the smart bottle, a bottle that can monitor essentially what you're drinking and the intake that you, know, that you get out of the concentrate of Gatorade and can give you direction on how to best perform and best uh, refill, uh, uh, re refuel after your performance with Gatorade 
uh, both in uh, liquid Gatorade and then also uh, Gatorade in a solid format. This is another innovation we launched recently. This is an example of a project that is all focused on the needs and wants of people, uh, personalization, extreme personalization on the basis of those needs, needs and wants, sustainability, health and wellness, all enabled by technology. So it's an example of how we are radically innovating in an industry where you may think, well, how can you really innovate with a human being at the center of everything? Yeah, I, I want to talk about sustainability. I'm certainly not convinced that Gatorade um, is, is uh, a, a sustainable brand or product or what you're doing there is sustainable. But let's come to that later. You, you clearly have worked your magic at PepsiCo. Uh, uh, Indra Nui, the, the former chairman and CEO, uh, describes um, your influence as singular. She, she, she says, I like to think of PepsiCo's history as unfolding in two stages, before Mauro and after Mauro, BM and AM. Uh, Mauro, what have you done at PepsiCo? It, it, you seem a smart guy, a telegenic guy, an enthusiastic, energetic guy, but are those people so hard to find? Are you a genius? Well, I don't think I'm a genius. I, I am somebody with a dream, with passion, and that value other people and understand that innovation in these companies and innovation in any other reality is not about the one man or one woman show. It's about the team. It's about bringing others with you. It's about uh, finding those unicorns I talk about in uh, in, in my book yeah so this is, I think... the unicorn is it's not the silicon valley notion of the billion dollar company it's the human talent yeah and this award we came up with uh, a few years ago in, i was with my team and we we're uh, as usual looking for new people to join that team and we had this list of characteristics and at a certain point Somebody was like, oh, my God, they're impossible to find. It's so difficult to find them. They're like unicorns. And since that day, we call them unicorns and, and internally. And then uh, when I decided to write a book and uh, these words started to become more public, uh, somebody uh, came to me and was like, well, wait a second. I mean, that's exactly the way you call the billion-dollar startup. And, and should we use a different word? And then thinking about this, actually, uh, we realized, I realized that uh, you need unicorns to build a unicorn. And so actually it was a perfect match. And that's why we stick to that world. Well, what we did in these years in this company, I think if you look at the company 10 years ago, uh, it was a very different company within Dranui, the CEO back then, in any way was starting to push before her time, before anybody else, this idea of performance with purpose. And so this connection between the financial performance of the company combined with the purpose of what you do with your brands. Uh, fast forward to, to today, uh, the portfolio of products that we have, you mentioned Gatorade is not a sustainable uh, product. Well, you know what? Sustainability is a journey and we need to be really, really clear about this. And anybody that has a, a media platform that reach uh, people needs to communicate to the world out there that to change reality, to change the world, is important to understand that you need to progress towards that change incrementally. Obviously, 
The more we can accelerate the progress, the better it is. But I think we should notice and celebrate the progresses and the efforts that these companies are doing to change the game. And the, the, the project that I mentioned, Gatorade GX, use reusable bottles. We introduced this idea of pods that you put in the bottle and that you put in the, in the reusable bottle and then you fill it with water. And so you're not using plastic, you're not moving Gatorade from one place to the other. So you, are in, you have a positive impact on carbon footprint, on production, on, on the use and reuse of the product. So it's an effort. And I think we need to celebrate these efforts for a reason, because we need people to embrace those kind of products. The more people buy those kind of products, the more these companies will produce more of them, the, and the more they will invest in these kind of activities. Another one uh, that we launched about one year and a half ago is SodaStream Professional. First of all, we made an acquisition of SodaStream, the company that is all about reusable bottles that you fill with water at home, and then you add uh, uh, carbonization at home, and then you can add flavors. But on top of it, we were working on another project for years before the acquisition of SodaStream, and then we just named it with the same uh, brand because they're part of one vision and one strategy for us. And it's this machine. Uh, essentially, imagine it's like a cooler. You arrive in front of this cooler, and you have a screen that is like an iPad, this screen as a camera recognizes you, your bottle with a QR code or an app that you may have on your phone. So recognize your profile. And then you can customize your drink, starting from water. And you can add, you can choose the temperature, adding carbonation, uh, adding flavors, the intensity of the flavors, and then ingredients, um, um, functional ingredients like uh, vitamin B, electrolytes, caffeine, magnesium. And so it's all, about, again, once again, a sustainable solution because you use your bottle and you reuse your bottle, uh, healthy and personalized, enabled by technology. You can find these machines in the Google headquarters in New York, in restaurants, in hotels, in yeah, uh, uh, universities. I, I, I take your point and I, and I don't want to dismiss it entirely, but we've done so many shows on sustainability and the crisis of the environment. Um, we did one, for example, with George Monbiat, who a very distinguished British environmental journalist, just won the Orwell Prize, has a new book out called uh, Regenesis, Feeding the World Without Devouring the Planet. I don't want to speak on behalf of George, but I'm guessing if he was on this show, he wouldn't be particularly impressed with the idea of a reusable Gatorade bottle that could be somehow customized for people. Um, he, he would talk about fundamental reform of, of agriculture and indeed of our eating habits. On your PepsiCo website, you talk about building a stronger, more sustainable future. Every big food company, every big uh, uh, company like PepsiCo talks about this. What exactly are you really doing to build a stronger, more sustainable future beyond recyclable Gatorade bottles? Well, I mean, look, I am the head of design and innovation in this company. So I'm going to answer about what I'm doing with my function and my team. And our role is to think about the portfolio of the future and understand how that portfolio can be more sustainable. And so it is about reusability of bottles. It is about uh, experimenting with new materials. It is about changing habits and behaviors of people. And look, you know, I totally think that we need people 
that from outside this organization challenge the system and the status quo. But we absolutely need as many people as possible passionate about this topic, about changing the world for the better. And sustainability is just one of the dimensions, but you know, being more purposeful with what we do, pushing diversity, uh, the world of health and wellness. I mean, we need as many people as possible passionate about this to join these companies and to change the system from within. And it's a collaboration. We need government, companies, consumers. I don't like this word too much. People out there working all together to drive this change. And if we try to just challenge the system from outside and just complain about things that don't work and we don't celebrate what is working and the progress and we don't help this progress and accelerating this progress, then it's, it's going to be tough for everybody. I think it's, it's in the interest of everybody to drive, you know, a, a better world. And these companies often, you know, there is the company, you know, there, there is this big name and the power of the company. And people forget that behind the big name, there are people. There are human beings and they have their fears, they have their emotions, they have their ambitions, they have families, they have kids, they have, you know, they, they want to do the right thing, they are trying to do the right thing and they're trying to push the right thing within the system. And it's important that we understand this because we need more and more passionate people, people that really believe in these kind of values to join these companies, to work all together, to drive in that direction. You you see how passionate I am about this topic. Right. I mean, I mean we're so talking. We, we got th right. We've got three P words, Mora Mara. Yeah. Passionate, which you talk about, and then you talk about the other two P words, performance and purpose. But can a company like PepsiCo really be purposeful? I, I understand that you're very successful on the performative side, especially with economics, and you're clearly passionate. Um, but isn't one of the problems with early 21st century capitalism, global capitalism, companies like PepsiCo, that they all talk the talk, they all talk about changing the world, making the world a better place, they all talk about diversity, but the world's becoming increasingly unequal. Uh, and even what you're doing at PepsiCo, I mean, you're essentially selling people fizzy drinks and snacks, which mostly aren't very good for them. So how can you get beyond that? Well, I mean, first of all, the portfolio of the company is so broad that to, to, to reduce everything to fizzy drinks and snacks that are not very good for them is, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure you did your own work and you know, you know the variety of products that the company sells. Well, so I mean, you me, know that give me an more, example of a better, give me an example Quaker, of your... I mean, Quaker, Quaker or... Uh, Quaker Oats, or we 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 launch, you know, talking about what I do because I'm here. I'm here to talk about what I'm doing as right. an author, what I'm doing as an individual. I'm not here to talk about the company, uh, but you know, our team uh, we launch ketogenic snacks that are good for your ketogenic diet online as a quick cycle kind of innovation project. Uh, we are doing a variety of different efforts to to drive you know, the right products, to propose them to the market, to make sure, to hope and make sure and make everything we can to, for the market to embrace them and, and push forward these values that are real values that our CEO believes in, our executive committee believes in and, and, and that they're trying to do. So it, it, it is that the intent and the purpose is, is real and there have been advancements in, the, in the, you know, that are 
pretty visible and tangible uh, out there. Um, but again, uh, I'm here today to share with you what I'm doing as chief design officer of this company. And I have a role you know, in this organization uh, to drive the human centricity in everything we do, in the way we build products and the way we communicate our brands. And, and, and we've been uh, achieving results that we're, we're very proud of. And, and we hope that more and more people will join this cause, this vision, both within the company and then the people out there buying those kind of products and enjoying those kind of products and giving us the possibility to double down on those products and solutions. Yeah, and I don't mean to, I, I, I don't mean to certainly pick on PepsiCo. There's an interesting story in the uh, newspapers this morning about this clash between Ben and Jerry, Ben and Jerry, the ice cream brand and Unilever. Uh, Unilever acquired Ben and Jerry, but the the founders of Ben and Jerry are uncomfortable, awkward about some of the stuff Unilever are doing. Um, this comes back to per performance and purpose. I mean, Ben and Jerry's is a classic startup, the one that you talked about a couple of guys with an idea built a remarkable company um when they when entrepreneurs do this if they sell to large companies are they always in some ways selling out or can they bring their spirit of innovation into these larger companies i love i love this question i think is the big challenge in the way these companies are doing innovation and let me you know even step back what these companies, some of them are doing, what they should do is to, first of all, think about the future of society. And then you think about your category. In our case, it's food and beverage. So what is the ideal food and beverage category and in industry in that society where we're going? Or what I, eventually we can imagine and design for the future. At that point, you start to and this is design thinking in action, this is what we do, you start to prototype those ideas in scenarios. This is where PepsiCo may be in 20 years. And then at that point, you have multiple ways to get there. Some of these ways are by developing products uh, and experimenting with those products. It could be quick experimentations. I, I mentioned, for instance, these ketogenic uh, snacks uh, that you do online and you see how it goes. It could be more, uh, uh, more established, more formal, requiring more time in traditional distribution. Then you work with other companies and you build ventures and partnership. And then finally you do acquisitions like the one that you just mentioned for Unilever. No matter what you do, even when you do things in-house, even in that case, it's so important to understand how to protect the entrepreneurial spirit of these people. And actually how to foster it if you don't have it yet. How to create an organization with a series of entrepreneurs within the organization so you don't need just to buy the companies out there but essentially you're starting to build a kind of culture in house. This is what I talk about in the book, this idea of the unicorns and what kind of characteristics they need to have that are very different from the one we're used to, you know, from the past. When these companies were really driving things at scale, extracting as much value as possible from specific brands that they had in the portfolio. Today, this idea of innovating from within is very, very important. And so this continuous balance between entrepreneurship uh, agility, flexibility, uh, the typical mindset of the entrepreneur that needs to uh, connect with the need of scaling, 
of creating something that creates value and must level. And so this is a challenge that doesn't happen just when you do an acquisition, but happens every day if you're serious about doing innovation within your organization. We need to find ways to uh, foster that kind of entrepreneurial mindset, but also understand how to scale it up. Because this is the reason, I mean, by the way, you know, we, we talk about the kids going out of school and dreaming of building a startup. Many of those kids are not just dreaming of building a startup, but they're dreaming of building a startup and selling it to the big corporations because they understand that the big corporations have the ability to scale up those kind of businesses and, and enterprises. And if you build a good startup, a startup with purpose, a startup that is doing good for the environment, and you get an and for society. And if you get acquired by one of these big corporations, then magic happens because you can scale up through them uh, what you're doing good. So we need to find ways to find a balance. But I think this is the moment of transition where the big, these big companies are moving from big machines that are big barrier to entry. They were protecting specific kind of products. Uh, designed in a certain way, made in a certain way, we're moving to a world where instead the competition is much broader and you need to really work towards the extreme excellence, creating products that are extraordinary from any point of view. And that's why sustainability, health and wellness, personalization uh, are becoming very important topic for all these companies. They're not a nice to have. They're not uh, a nice thing to say they're really part of what these companies are trying to do. Maro, um, I don't need, you don't need me to tell you this. There's a, a crisis of legitimacy in many of our institutions these days, particularly at the political level. You're from Italy, but you live in the US, both the Italian and the American political systems and perhaps American and Italian democracy are in some element of crisis. The populists are coming control, are, are coming to power. We don't trust our institutions. The one series of institutions that seem to be in some ways surviving and perhaps even thriving are on the business side. Are, um, are articulated by men like yourself about values, sustainability, social capitalism. We've had this debate on the show before. Do you think that with the crisis of traditional political parties and systems and ideologies, um, capitalism can survive through companies providing the ethics for a, a 21st century market society? Well, I, I love this question. I think it's a very interesting question. I, I do think that um, any entity that has access to millions, or in our case, for instance, billions of people every day, needs somehow to have a point of view on what's going on out there in the world. Um, and this is what people out there are expecting from anybody talking to them. So it's not just the companies, but if you think about this, it's expected also from the celebrities out there, from anybody that somehow has a platform to connect with people. So I don't think that companies are in charge of uh, doing what the political system and governments uh, should do. I do think though that any entity uh, with a platform communicating to the world needs to have a point of view and needs to provide somehow 
ideally, and this is what I wish for our society, a compass, you know, a direction, uh, push messages that make the society evolve and progress and go in the right direction. You know, I, I am a designer. I study a school how to be value for people. This is what they teach you at design school. They teach you, okay, you need to be an ethnographer. You need to observe people. You need to understand what they want and what they, uh, they need, even if they don't say anything, even if they don't talk. You need to really understand them and you need to create something extraordinary for them. So they teach you to create value for them. And so here I am, when I entered the business world 25 years ago, before PepsiCo in 3M, in Philips, and with my own company, uh, you, you observe this reality. and You observe the money these companies invest to communicate those brands. And so I love the fact that today there is this new attention for the idea of purpose, uh, for the idea of delivering positive messages for the society because essentially you are already investing a lot of money to communicate and you have these huge platforms and you can either just invest for the sake of your product and to grow your business or you can easily combine over time in an authentic way a positive message for the society and I think that's the most responsible thing that any brand can do Today, we're already communicating with people. We're already talking to people. They expect these brands to have a point of view. Let's leverage this investment to help the world and society. I think in a way, Maro, you're, you're wasted inside PepsiCo. Like Johnny Ive is, is wasted inside uh, Apple. Not that he's at Apple anymore. The world is controlled and managed by very smart designers like yourself. Do we need to, for example, in the American or the Italian government, create an SVP, a chief design officer for governments? Do we need to take the principles of design and the power that you've clearly helped to transform PepsiCo and take it into the public sector? Are you wasted in the private sector? Well, I'll give you two answers. One is um, I had an impact with this purpose-driven human-centered approach to what we do. For instance, in the world of sustainability, looking at the data of what we have been generating over the past years, that is bigger than any impact I could have ever had through a startup, through a different kind of company, by being outside of the system and try to create things. Right, but not, I mean, if, if, if you no, no, I'm, going, I'm going, yeah, yeah, I'm going also to the political, you know, to your question. So I'm just starting saying, when we talk about waste, first of all, I'm glad that companies like PepsiCo and before 3M gave me the platforms to actually have an impact at scale in a positive way. If you think about the potential of the kind of human centricity in the in governments and in political system, I completely agree with you. And thank you for asking the question. I do think that we will need chief design officers in uh, every uh, government of the world for one reason. Look, let's think about what, the way I describe our education. Here you go to school and they teach you uh, design thinking that you can be articulated in three different pillars or dimensions. The first one is the human being. So they teach you to understand people, but really inside, you know, deeply what drives them and understand them as they are today, but also understanding where they're going and their future. And they teach you to love them, to care about them, to create something good for them. This is what they teach you. Then they teach you 
that there are other two dimensions if you want that dream, that idea to come to life. One is called feasibility of what you do. So you need to study technology, material science, or any kind of technology to enable your dream to come to life, to be produced. And then they teach you what we call viability, the business world, how to make it happen and, and sell it or make it available to people. If you don't sell it, then you're doing art, you're not doing design. So these are the three dimensions of our education. And essentially, they teach you to be an ambassador of the human beings inside the business world, but also they give you the tool to transform those ideas into prototypes that then become products that you use to change cultures, to push new ideas. So when we talk about governments and, and states, and imagine this kind of position, somebody that is there thinking, exclusively about what is good for people out there, for the society. And then having the know-how to understand how technologically making things happen, making them in a way that, I, that is viable, that makes sense from a business standpoint, and then using the tools of design thinking that is nothing else than the ability to combine these three dimensions and prototype. So conducting experimenting, experiment, uh, experiments in society by prototyping solutions of any kind and, and the more prototypes you build that generate proof points, the more people get excited about what you're doing, and the more you get credibility for what you're pushing, and the more you start to scale it up. This is how we build design, for instance, in, in, in PepsiCo, uh, the, same, uh, the same thing that I did at 3M, where I built design from scratch you know, in that company, is by identifying inside the company what I call the co-conspirators, people with different backgrounds, different kind of functions and roles inside the organization that could partner with me to make things happen. And then prototype, create things, make things happen, but not just behind the scenes in the company, but in the market. Throw something out there, see how people react. And then one prototype and two and three and four, and you get traction. And then at that point, the company is like, wait a second, here there is something. This is not just the startup, the pioneers. This is something that we need to scale. And that's why you move from, you know, I call this phase the occasional leap of faith. You move to what I call the quest for confidence. You elevate those prototypes to something that should be a scale. Because the beauty of these minds, and what, the reason why I love to work for these companies is that if you have good ideas, and if you push them, if you push them in the system, you prototype around them, then you prove the point, then you start to scale them. And so going back to your question, it would be wonderful to have a chief design officer driving this kind of culture before anything else and then experiments in society. Well, I'm going to have a word with Joe Biden, Mara, and see if I can get you, convince him to make you uh, chief design officer of the American government. Your new book, The Human Side of Innovation, The Power of People in Love with People, The Power of Unicorns Like Mara Himself, Certainly made a good case for uh, the importance still of human innovation in our age of AI. Congratulations, Maro, on the new book. What else do you read? I, I don't know if you have much time for reading when you're on planes, when you're at home. Well, you're right. When I'm on planes is my favorite time for reading. Well, I love, well, a, a book that I've been reading recently, Stage, Not Age, for mm. putting a new focus on people 65 years plus, because it's a big chunk of the population and we're just putting them inside one cluster. And in reality, there are so many different kinds of dimensions to this cluster and we should rethink about that. 
in companies. We were talking about the government, society. Uh, so it's a beautiful book that I really recommend. And then the books that I that I'm very passionate about, you know, are the biographies of the great change makers. I love the biography of Steve Jobs of Walter Isaacson. Uh, Shoes Dog, the biography of Phil Knight, uh, the founder of Nike, or uh, the two biography of Richard Branson, Finding and Losing My Virginity are, are books that I really love. They give you such an energy. You know, you want to change the world when you finish them even more. Excellent.